today we are going to study John chapter 8. That's where we are. We are in week two of a three-part lesson called I Am. Jesus has made seven I Am statements about himself, and we are looking closely at three of them during these three studies. Last week, Pastor Eddie taught on I Am the Good Shepherd, John 10, I Am the Good Shepherd, and my sheep, and I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. Next week, he'll teach on I am the true vine, but as for today, we will think through and absorb Jesus' statement, I am the light of the world. What we're doing is walking through the Gospel of John, and the idea behind all of it is that if we turn our eyes toward Jesus, if we stop and consider who he is, not just what he has done, but who he is, the Bible says that that has a transforming effect on us humans. It can affect our lives. I guess if I were to state that another way, I would say that we are transformed not just by knowing what Jesus has done, but by knowing, seeing, and truly understanding who he is, and that is a part of the good news. So that is what we're going to do. So we're going to start our study this morning by reading together. I believe that that will be instructive for all of us. We want to know what the Bible has says on this matter of Jesus being the light of the world. I'm going to ask you to read with me, and we're going to start at verse 12, and we're going to go through verse 14, and we're going to pull that apart a bit. You're welcome to uh, continue with your pew Bible. I believe it was on page 820. Or if you want, you can go through and use your smartphone, or you can simply read the passage as it will be shown behind me. So we will go starting at John 8, starting at verse 12. When you're ready, please say amen. amen. All right. Again, Jesus spoke to them. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Then the Pharisees said to him, you are testifying on your own behalf. Your testimony is not valid. Jesus answered, even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid because I know where I come from and where I'm going, but you do not know where I come from or where I am going. Okay, so it doesn't take much holy imagination to realize that this is a very awkward moment coming up. When Jesus said, I am the light of the world, they knew exactly, the Pharisees knew exactly what he was claiming because this is one of the I am statements in the Gospel of John. This is a notable one and a memorable one and one with which some of us are familiar. But what I don't think we are as familiar with is how the leaders and the people of that day would have reacted to that statement. 
So if you would allow me for a few minutes to give you a bit of background and put this passage in context, I believe you will understand a little better why the reaction was as strong as it was. Now, first of all, Jesus was teaching in the temple. He was teaching the people, and the people were there celebrating the festival of the tabernacle. Now, this was a huge celebration. It was eight days. It was uh, celebrated in the fall sometimes between mid-September and mid-October. In fact, you may have heard of this celebration. It's called Sukkoth, and it is still celebrated today. And it's a joyful time. It's a time of thanksgiving for the harvest. But more importantly, it's a celebration of God's provision for their ancestors as they wandered through the desert for 40 years. So during this time, a lot of people were in Jerusalem, and uh, many of the people would make booths to live in. And uh, it was packed with visitors, and it was alive with singing and celebration, and it was a fun time. Now, one of the things that the people did when they went to the temple was uh, they gave money. They offered their sacrifices, just like we just gave our offerings. They did the same thing. Now, if you've ever seen the pictures in the back of your Bibles that have pictures of Palestine and all of those things, there's also a picture back there of uh, the courtyard or the temple uh, that they worshiped in at that time. And it was a massive structure. So the temple was made up in sections. There was an outer court where anybody could come and frequent. That was called the Court of the Gentiles. And then when you move in toward the center of the building, the next set of courtyards was called the Court of Women, and everybody uh, could go in there if you were Jewish, not everybody. The court of the Gentiles was for everybody, but as you moved in, if you were Jewish, you could go into the court of the women. Now, the reason that that was important was because that area was called the treasury, and in that area, they would have large vessels, and they were funnel-shaped, and that is where you would put your offerings, so they wanted it to be accessible to everybody. So you would be in there and you would uh, do your offerings. If you remember uh, Jesus telling a story of the widow's mite and how impressed he was about the two coins that she gave, it was in that place where she gave that money. So this is a place that is buzzing with action. It's packed. You have to give your offerings there. You're receiving, you're paying for pigeons and other things that you have to sacrifice. So it's in the middle of all of this that Jesus is teaching in the treasury when all of a sudden he says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, this was a shocking and surprising thing for him to say because he didn't say, I am a light in the world, which would have been okay because some rabbis and teachers of the law would have described themselves in that way as being a light in the world. He didn't say, I am a light in Jerusalem, which may have been okay for him to say, or he didn't say, I am a light in Judea, he said, I am the light of the world. Now, I'm going to tell you one more tidbit of background before I move forward again. Now, 
When the Feast of the Tabernacles began, candelabras were set up all through the courtyard of the women. And historians say that it was literally filled with light. In fact, these large candles would burn all night long, and the Jews called this the illumination of the temple. And the reason they did that was because, remember when I said earlier they were celebrating the 40 years that they wandered in the wilderness? Now, how do you think that they would go through the wilderness? They were led by light. If you remember the story of Moses, they were led by a pillar of fire at night and a lighted cloud in the daytime. And so this was the light that led them through the wilderness. This was God himself manifest as light as he walked them through the wilderness. And to commemorate that, they had this illumination of the temple, and they lit all of the candles and let it burn all night long. And the historians describe it as a stunning vision that it was so lit up that it actually looked like a diamond sparkling in the middle of Jerusalem. So this is the setting. You've got lights and candles. We don't know if it's day or night, if the candles had just been extinguished or if they had just been lit, but this is the setting that Jesus was teaching in. And it was a profound moment. And he was sitting in the temple, and there was a crowd. And in this, he proclaims he's the light of the world. And then someone in the crowd speaks up and says, you are trying to testify about yourself, and you're a liar. Okay, that's awkward. No, he didn't just say Jesus was a liar. That's what he said. So Jesus, in rebuttal, says, what if I am testing about myself? I know where I come from, and I know where I'm going. You do not know where I come from, and you don't know where I'm going, so how would you know if I'm lying or not? Stage is set. This is an exclusive and all-encompassing and, most importantly, direct claim to be the Messiah. And the teachers of the law, the Pharisees, knew very, very well what he was saying because they were very familiar with the messianic promises that came through the prophet Isaiah and through the Old Testament. Jesus was claiming to be God. He was claiming to be the Messiah, the light, and frankly, the Pharisees were not well with this pronouncement. You know, all through the Bible, light is used as a metaphor. It's light that dispels darkness, and Jesus is the light of truth that dispels the darkness of lies. Jesus is the light of wisdom that dispels the darkness of ignorance. Jesus is the light of holiness that dispels the darkness of sin. Jesus is the light of joy that dispels darkness of sorrow. He's the light of life. 
that dispels the darkness of death. And when he says, I am the light of the world, he even uses the tetragrammaton, I am, the claim to be God, the claim to be Messiah. Psalm 27, 1 says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. John 1, 5 says, God is light and in him there is no darkness. You know, maybe a better way to explain what is happening is for us to go back and think about chapter one in the Gospel of John. You remember the poetic words that John penned when he said, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and in him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There was that true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. So right at the very outset of his gospel, he identifies the coming of the Messiah. The Lord Jesus Christ is the light, the light and the light. What John was actually pointing us to was the very beginning of the Bible where it says that the universe was formless. It was dark, it was void. Then in chapter one of Genesis, verse three, the Spirit of God is hovering over the waters and God says, let there be light. It's formless, dark, and void. But from that one sentence, let there be be light, structure began to replace formlessness. What was formless was being formed. Darkness was put on its heels. And what was void began to be filled with life. This is the process, family. That's how God interacts with his creation. The earth, the heavens, you, me. He takes what's formless and gives it form. He drives out what's dark, what is void he fills with life. This is God's way. So here, when Jesus says, you can say that my testimony is false, but I know where I come from, what's he really saying? He's saying that he was there. He was there at the creation of the world. He is the word made flesh. So when God says, let there be light, who's the active force of creation? That's Christ. Jesus is saying, I know where I'm coming from, where I come from, and I know where I'm going. And where is he going? Revelation 22 tells us, on that day, they will no longer need the sun or the moon, for the glory of God will be their light. There's a day that's coming in the new heaven and the new earth where there'll be no sun and no moon. We won't need it. Because seeing Christ 
face to face will illuminate the way. And that's better than the way that the sun illuminates the way now. We won't need anything to reflect light because the light will be among us. And that was Jesus' rebuttal to the Pharisees. How do you know I'm a liar? Were you there? I was there at the beginning of the world. I know where I come from and where I'm going. It's a bold claim he was making. I alone take what is formless and form it. I alone put darkness on its heels, and I alone fill voids with life. So with, with the remainder of our time together, we're going to think about how Jesus takes what's formless and gives it form, how he takes darkness and brings it into the light, and how he fills voids with life. Now, if you are a note taker, there is a separate page that you can take notes. And the first blank that I would ask you to write down is that Jesus, as I said, takes us from formlessness to form. He takes us from formless to form. Now, how does he do that? Remember last year, we studied the purpose-driven life. And we talked about it for 40 days. We talked about our purpose. And we learned that we are not here by accident, that we were created by God. We are loved deeply by him. And that's how he forms us by revealing to us, if we're interested in knowing, our shape, our form, our purpose. And that's what we learned in the series. We learned that we were created for God's pleasure. Our first purpose is to offer real worship to God. We learned that we were formed for God's family. Our second purpose is to enjoy a real and intimate relationship and fellowship with God. We learned that we were created to become like Christ. So our third purpose is to learn real discipleship, how to follow and become obedient to God and his ways. And we were shaped for service to God. Our fourth purpose, to practice real ministry, to learn what our gifts and our talents are so that we can use them in service to him. And the last thing that we talked about was that we were made for mission. Our fifth purpose, to live out evangelism, which is simply telling others that they too can live in the freedom of Jesus Christ. By living and ordering my life around God and his commands, we find life, we find our purpose, we move from being empty to being full, from aimless to purposeful, from formlessness to formation. When we talk about Jesus being the light of the world, we're saying 
that outside of Jesus Christ, outside of a relationship with Christ, and I'm not talking about intellectual assent. Remember, we're not talking about knowing him. We're talking about knowing him. We're way outside of what we were designed to be. We're not fulfilling what we were created to be. And therefore, in a very real sense, we're unmade, we're unformed. But when we come into Christ, into the light of the world, he begins to form us. You know, if you have a church background, the language that Christians use for this is sanctification. We're being formed. We're being sanctified. The second point that I would make that Jesus transfers us from darkness to light. Again, the Bible says not only if you are outside of a relationship with Jesus Christ that we are unformed, it also says that we are in, in what it calls a domain of darkness. When we become Christians, Colossians says we are transferred out of the domain of darkness and into a kingdom, into the kingdom of his beloved son. And it's in that moment that we move from darkness and into light. If you've not yet made a decision for Christ, the Bible says that you walk in a type of spiritual blindness that you just simply cannot see what ultimate reality is. Sure, you can see some things, but not what is ultimate. You can feel some things, but not what is ultimate. This is our spiritual state outside of Christ. When Jesus says, I am the light of the world, he's talking about illumination. The Bible tells us that when the Holy Spirit awakens our hearts to the reality of Jesus Christ, an integration starts to happen. The scriptures open up to us and we can understand them in a way that we couldn't understand them before we became Christians. We can read them now with our minds informed by the truth. Our hearts begin to be shaped. And then that fuels some of our emotions. So now we're free to worship, not coldly and intellectually, but real feelings are stirred because of our affections for God and for the Bible, because of the things that he's done for us. Because our mind believes and has informed our hearts with the truth of what God has done. It's how light works. If you have a background in church, that is called salvation. You must begin a relationship with Christ in order to begin the transition from darkness into light. Now, before you leave here today thinking that, well, I'm glad I'm saved, and wow, Pastor Paula was really telling those people off who don't have a relationship with Christ, 
I want to give you one last piece of information about this passage. And it's both instructive and very sobering. We need to remember that this narrative takes place in the temple, in the church, if you will. And it was during a time of celebration of what God had done for his people, how he had saved them in the wilderness. And every one of the people and their leaders were doing all of the right religious things. They were at church. They were giving. They were doing all the things that religious people do. But they were still in the dark. They were blind. At the beginning of chapter 8, the religious leaders had just dragged a woman into the temple who had been caught in the middle of an adulterous act. They not only dragged this woman to humiliate her and kill her by stoning her to death in front of everyone, the reason that they did it wasn't out of any uh, religious conviction or any sense of justice or any sense of uh, defending the faith and being righteous before God, the reason that the religious people of the day dragged that woman in the temple to accuse her and kill her was because they were trying to set Jesus up. They were trying to trap him because they wanted to get rid of him too. They hated him. They hated him for the way he taught. They hated him for the way people followed him. They hated him because he was a threat to their power. And they were going to do everything in their power to hold on. Now, it didn't work, of course, because Jesus knows what's in our hearts and minds. So, when the people who were accusing her had to leave because they too were convicted of the sin that was in their own hearts, which they should have known better than anyone else, they, they were trapped in their own power and their pride and in their sin, and they could not see the light that was right in their midst because they were blind. And these were the people of the church. These were the religious people of the day. Jesus is the light of the world. He puts darkness on its heels. And family, if you are hiding in the darkness and you're walking in secret, unconfessed, unconfessed sins, it ends in one of three ways. The first way would be the best way. It's coming clean and confessing 
I'm not promising you that it won't be costly. I'm not promising you that it won't be painful. And I assure you, it will probably be embarrassing. But that's the off-ramp that uh, God gives to spare you from the hooks of death and destruction. The second way that you could get out of it is that God is going to out you. And he does that all the time. And in fact, just to encourage the saints here, if you're here and you're a Christian and God has just up and busted you in your sin, you didn't come clean, he busted you, would you be bold enough to raise your hand? Because I know it happens all the time, and I know I'm not the only one that God has busted like that. He does it because he loves you. Now, the third way, which is probably the hardest, is that he will simply turn you over to your sin to be destroyed by it. And that's a frightful thing. You'll get the sense that you're getting away with something, but in reality, God in his wrath has turned you over. That's what Romans 1 teaches. There's a point where God will say, okay, you'd rather have that than what I want for you? You want to walk in the darkness? Okay, then I'll turn you over to the darkness. If you go and read Romans 1:28 and following, you will see what begins to occur when God turns you over to the darkness. It's a type of moral disintegration where you go further and further and further away than you ever thought you were capable of doing. But Jesus is the light of the world and he can put darkness on its heels. The last point that I would make is that Jesus takes what is void and fills it with life. In the grace and in the presence of our good God who is light, you can personalize this message. And when you do that, you're not just, he's no longer just the light of the world, he's the light of your world. When he becomes the light of your world, it changes everything because darkness never defeats light. Jesus is not just an out there God. He's your personal light. And when you know that, and when you receive the freedom from all the condemning voices of the world, the voices of Satan that tell you that you can't and you won't and you never will, all of those voices are silenced by his grace and goodness. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness again because I am the light of the world. The law reveals our guilt. And make no mistake, we are guilty. And until we see ourselves as sinners, we don't see our need for a savior. However, 
His love reveals God's grace. His light reveals our hope. And no matter how dark your world seems right now, his grace can forgive your sins. His presence can bring healing to shame. And you're never the same again. My prayer is that you choose this day for the Holy Spirit to do a healing work. We can be different because God is the light. I'd like you to close your eyes for a moment and take a moment to reflect. There are so many people that are hurting. There are so many people where the world is dark for them right now. It may be that you're into something that you shouldn't be into. It may be because there's something from your past that you just can't get out of your mind. And you feel ashamed. You feel the condemnation, the guilt. Maybe there are other people who have said things about you or think things about you and it weighs you down. You are not who they say you are. You are who God says you are. If you're in Christ, there is no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. Some of you right now, you just might be in a place where you need some hope. You know, a little bit of light gives an awful lot of hope. You may be in a place where you need some encouragement this morning. You need God's presence. You need God's grace. You simply need some hope. A little bit of light can give a whole lot of hope. In one way or another, you may be experiencing darkness through a loss, through whatever it is. But in this moment, right now, with your eyes closed, respecting the privacy of everyone else around, you can cry out to God. Would you lift your hands and show me this morning if you need the hope that I'm talking about? I see you. Thank you for being honest. Thank you. 
If you need the light of the world to become the light of your world, would you raise your hand? Thank you. Thank you. I see you in the back. Thank you. Pray with me. Father God, I need your presence. I need your love. And I need your grace. And I need hope. I need you, Jesus, in my life. God, I pray for those who are in bondage at the accusations of the enemy. My prayer is that the voice of your son would overwhelm the voice of the prince of darkness, that the light would crush the darkness. God, I pray for those who have not yet forgiven themselves, that God, they would see that because you have forgiven them, the only reasonable response is for them to forgive themselves as well. Father, give us courage to walk out of the darkness and into the light. And Father, for those of us who are stuck in a repetitive sin, that they just can't seem to get out of. I thank you that because of your grace, they can go right now. By your power, they can go now and leave their life of sin and be free from the darkness and live in the light of your glory. Father, you are the light of the world we are children of light, and we love you, and we thank you, and we say this all in Jesus the Christ's name, amen.